Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As investing in infrastructure remains one of the key messages in focus from the UBS Chief Investment Office, our conversation today will offer you a look into the opportunity set and what to be mindful of as an investor when participating in infrastructure-related investments. We are joined today from the UBS Chief Investment Office by Michelle Liberty, thematic investing strategist for the Americas. We're fortunate to have with us as well for the conversation from our partners at Brookfield, Sam Pollock. Sam is the Chief Executive Officer of Brookfield's Infrastructure Business and Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. In that role, Sam is responsible for investments, operations, and the expansion of the infrastructure business. So with that, Michelle, Sam, thank you for joining us and for spending some time with our listeners and our clients. Looking forward to hearing your insights. Michelle, I'll pass it over to you to lead today's conversation with Sam. Thanks so much, Sam, and happy to be here. So let me just set the stage here uh, with the first question. Investing in infrastructure is one of our key messages and focus here in the UBS Chief Investment Office. So let me ask you, Sam, how do you think about infrastructure investing, and what does the opportunity set look like today versus over the longer term? Hi, Michelle, and Thank you for having me on the call today, and thank you, Dan. I think the best place to start uh, with that question is uh, is really where we started with infrastructure, going back over you know 20 years ago. Um, you know, when we uh, were looking to expand, you know, into new asset classes um, from uh, primarily real estate at the time, uh, you know, we were looking for businesses that had that had great um, uh, growth trajectories as well as um, you know good investment characteristics, and and the one thing that we saw at that time was a um, a very profound uh, infrastructure deficit, meaning that you know the quality infrastructure around the world you know had been uh, declining and underinvested, and this was primarily the result of. Uh, you know, larger and larger government de- deficits and their inability to invest back into infrastructure. And so they were looking for the private sector to get involved. And, you know, what we saw from an investment perspective, you know, was the ability to invest in long life essential assets, basically businesses that are, that are the backbone of the economy. Uh, they also had the, you know, the benefit of being highly contracted or or regulated, so the, the, these were, you know, among the best cash flows that you can get. Um, in most jurisdictions, there's inflation indexation in the uh, tariff frameworks, and of course, there's you know high barriers to entry, uh, as most of them are uh, protected businesses to a certain extent. And um, you know, as as we you know go forward, and, and we've you know been investing, as I mentioned, you know, for the last uh, couple of decades. And built up a business that today we have over 240 billion in assets under management. Um, we operate in, in, in 30 countries, so this is something that's not just uh, an investment opportunity in the U.S. It's also an opportunity around the world. And you know, when we you know look at um, the opportunity today and in the future, uh, not only do we still have the same dynamics where you know, government deficits have only you know grown larger, and their ability uh, to afford to invest in infrastructure is probably even less. But we've got these three new trends, you know, that have taken hold in the last couple of years. We call them the three Ds: 
basically decarbonization, uh, digitalization, and deglobalization. And these are you know, three very large macro trends that are driving a huge amount of uh, need for capital for infrastructure. In the case of decarbonization, um, you know, this, this is one most people you know and hear, read about every single day. You know, this is basically the transformative trend whereby new infrastructure is being built aimed at reducing or eliminating carbon emissions. This is basically the conversion of conventional generating facilities to renewable energy. Um, and then digitalization, again, this is something people know and have seen you know, um, in their day-to-day -day activities because data has become the fastest growing commodity. And in order to accommodate you know, this incredible growth, you know, we're basically in the midst of a you know, once in a hundred year investment cycle to upgrade and replace the, the telecommunications infrastructure from copper to fiber optics, as well as you know, improving and, and expanding you know, the wireless infrastructure and data centers to reduce latency and improve overall connectivity. And then deglobalization, this is probably the newest trend. You know, this is you know, really one that's marked by a growing emphasis on localizing or friend-shoring or friend-reshoring of you know, critical industries and supply chains and energy infrastructure. And this has you know, become very prevalent as a result of you know, what we saw during COVID as well as you know, some of the recent war activity. And so, you know, this is driving a huge amount of capital in a number of countries. So, you know, in summary, I, I think the opportunity set for infrastructure has never been greater. It's, it's exciting uh, because, you know, the businesses are, um, you know, very robust and resilient. And uh, uh, it's something that I see infrastructure uh, in particular um, continue to grow in the decades ahead. Great. Thank you for that. It's a great way to kick off. And, and you know, you mentioned something about underinvestment. And I do agree we've seen that, you know, particularly here in the U.S. And, and frankly, we really need infrastructure investment, right? I mean, just for one example, um, about 42% of all bridges in the U.S. were at least 50 years old in 2021. Um, so that just gives you a hint at, you know, some of this aging infrastructure that we need to upgrade. Um, but you also mentioned it's not just a U.S. story, and you know that's a big part of the difference that I see in terms of where's the opportunity now, you know, versus the longer term. Of course, right here, right now, we're in the middle of a wave of infrastructure spending in the U.S. But looking forward, you know, we tend to talk about uh, megatrends a lot. One of which is urbanization and emerging markets, and in many countries, urban infrastructure is currently inadequate to service these populations that have grown alongside those urbanization trends. So we actually expect to see uh, emerging markets become you know, a greater part of this global infrastructure expansion with time. Um, but with that, let me move here to the second question. And I think you alluded to some of this in, in your first answer, but I just want to focus on timing for a moment. Uh, why is now a particularly good time uh, for investors to participate? You know, I, I, that's a question I, I get quite often and uh, you know one of the one of the, the the comments i make is that i think infrastructure investments are for basically all seasons and what i mean by that is they perform well 
throughout the business cycle. And, you know, that's because, you know, they have elements of uh, safety. You know, they're, they're very resilient cash flows because of the, the regula- regulatory nature of them or the, the fact that they're contracted for a long period of time. But they also have uh, opportunities to participate uh, with growth in GDP because uh, many of the businesses, you know, um, have the opportunity to uh, expand their networks and grow volumes, you know, based on the expansion of the economy. And so th- there really is, um, I think infrastructure is, is good almost at any point in time. T- today, you know, I think you can find um, uh, things for every type of investor. So for investors, you know, who are looking for, um, you know, income as well as security, uh, because, you know, they might be concerned about, uh, the outlook for the economy, uh, infrastructure provides, you know, that security. Um, for those that are, you know, concerned about um, inflation, well, as I mentioned, uh, in, in many of the businesses that we own, there's uh, inflation indexation. And so you, your assets are protected uh, in a high inflation environment. And in fact, uh, most of our businesses outperform in a high inflationary environment. Um, and then I think the other thing that, you know, makes, uh, these assets very attractive at this point in time is that, uh, with, you know, capital scarcity, um, you know, which, you know, owes to just, um, you know, a lot of capital being parked on the, the sidelines today, which is what we see out there. Um, you know, this is a very interesting time to invest. We can, you know, uh, achieve return thresholds today that, frankly, we haven't seen uh, in the last number of years uh, when capital was more freely available, interest rates were lower. So this is actually, you know, probably one of the more prolific times to be investing. And, uh, uh, you know, we think, uh, you know, we're, you know, you know, we're achieving returns better than than we have. So I, I don't know what your views are on that, uh, Michelle. Um, but do you think it's a good time to invest as well? Yeah, I think uh, I think what I tend to remind people of when I when I get this question as well is that, again, frankly, as things take time, and what we saw at the end of 2021 was you know the passing of this bipartisan infrastructure law, and we tend to get a lot of questions about it when it's recent, right? I was getting a lot of questions about it in late 2021, but things take a lot of time to actually work their way through to boots on the ground, that funding has to be allocated, projects have to be awarded, and that takes time to turn into actual earnings dollars. So you know, fast forward to today, and we're starting to see you know, a lot of that flow through. Uh, and to your point, you know, after that, those periods of underinvestment, this bill really was you know, significant change, um, and it really expanded the opportunity set in the U.S. over the last two years. So I do think it's a really interesting time as well. And I, I resonate with a lot of the points that you made about, uh, you know, I think you mentioned all seasons. You know, one thing that we've seen uh, is that infrastructure can be a good diversifier uh, for portfolio as well. So really interesting uh, comments that you make there. Let me just, in the essence of time, uh, move on to my third question here. And I'd like if you could just explain for our listeners uh, a little bit about the role 
that the government plays here in terms of funding dollars uh, and resource allocation for these infrastructure projects. Could you expand a little bit uh, on that for us? Uh, okay, I, I do it with a little bit of trepidation because I know this is an area where you're the expert in, but I will uh, provide some comments and then uh, definitely throw it back to you to uh, maybe uh, discuss uh, some of the, the recent legislation. But uh, from my perspective, the most important thing that governments can do is to provide a stable, predictable regulatory environment. You know, I would, I would almost, you know, in many cases, leave it at that because uh, whenever we go into a jurisdiction, the worst thing that we can encounter is uncertainty or changing of the rules of the road. And um, if we, that's why we love investing in jurisdictions like uh, North America, Australia, the UK, because, you know, these are the regulatory frameworks that have been around the longest and have um, the most predictability and consistency to them. That doesn't mean there, there isn't sometimes surprises, but for the most part, you know, these are uh, by far the, the best jurisdictions. But having said all that, governments can also increase the breadth of investment opportunities through well thought out incentives in the legislation. And uh, I know you, I'm gonna let you talk more about it, but you know, there's been in the US a number of new acts, um, whether it's the uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, or the, the CHIPS Act, you know, these, you know, have all been um, designed to promote, you know, new investments, you know, in transport and energy and, and water. Um, and they, you know, effectively utilize, you know, production tax credits and other mechanisms to uh, encourage investment by the private sector. Uh, you know, what, one example, you know, where, you know, we've, we're involved with a, a partner who's uh, investing um, with the benefit of, of, of one of these acts, and, you know, that would be our Intel joint venture. Um, this is where um, it's, almost, it's an example of the deglobalization trend where uh, the U.S. government's encouraging um, the reshoring of semiconductor facilities into the United States. And the CHIPS Act was designed to provide support to Intel and others to, um, to build these new uh, fabs. And uh, you know, we're fortunate to, uh, to be a, a joint venture partner. We're providing uh, long-term infrastructure capital to Intel to help them build a, a $30 billion facility in Arizona. And um, you know, it's an example of a very large-scale project that uh, has come about because of these new trends I talked about. So maybe I'll stop there and, and turn it back to you, Michelle, the expert on, on what you think you know, new legislation can play a role. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you did mention uncertainty and, and the risk that, that comes along with that, uh, which I'm actually just going to table that for a moment because I think it's a good uh, segue into the, the, the fourth question. But before I go too far, um, I do think, I, I mean, the government does play a major role in allocating spending, right? But I would I would be remiss if I didn't also mention the uh, municipal bond market because that's really important here as well. And and the U.S. has addressed about 75% of its infrastructure needs through the muni bond market for the last 100 years or so. 
And the, the proceeds are generally used to build a whole host of things like airports, hospitals, schools. But now that uh, this federal spending that was passed, that should help municipal governments finance investment in public works without needing to substantially increase their rates to directly pay for this improvement uh, or by issuing new debt. So we may see this dynamic shift a bit um, away from the, the state and local government shouldering the large share of these costs. Uh, but ultimately, I do think that both the government and investors will be will both be a part of this infrastructure you know, resurgence that, that we're seeing. Um, but I did mention, again, that I would uh, segue into number four here um, on the topic of risk. And, and again, you mentioned uncertainty. But what, what should investors be aware of in terms of not only the time horizon of these investments uh, and characteristics, but what are, are the risks involved uh, that you see? Look, I, I think the first thing I would mention is that, you know, infrastructure, you know, by its nature, you know, these are long life essential assets, uh, highly contracted. You should have a long-term focus, you know, when you invest in the business. These aren't businesses that, um, you know, move up and down. I mean, they're meant to be very steady and, and as I mentioned earlier, earlier, you know, compound wealth over over time. Um, you know what, you know, attributes of investors should be you know mindful to is you know when you're looking for investments, you always want to find uh, businesses that have uh, good diversification. Uh, again, that helps to uh, reduce risk, and you mentioned that earlier. Um, you know, infrastructure, you know, should be. Um, uh, finance in a very prudent manner. It should have low leverage. These, these are uh, high capital nature businesses, and you know, like real estate, they should be very prudently financed. And so, I think that's something to um, that investors should be mindful of. Um, I think it's always uh, attractive if you can have as much inflation protected assets in the portfolio as possible. That just uh, again. Uh, helps you know protect you against rising rates as well as uh, you know changes in the uh, macroeconomic uh, environment that you know that are hard to predict. And then lastly, you know we always look for um, you know strong management. So um, you know we uh, you know in our businesses we uh, ensure that we have you know very capable managers who are aligned with our interests, who are focused on. Um, uh, creating value within the portfolio. Uh, far too often, what you see in some of these businesses are um, uh, managers who are just focused on, you know, engineering returns through um, leverage, and and obviously that that doesn't work in periods like today, and frankly, doesn't work over the long run. So I think the focus is always on um, management that you know can bring that asset management uh, capabilities uh, to a business to drive returns. Got it. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. And um, I do, I will just close out with a, with a comment. You said something about uh, financing needs to be done in a, in a prudent manner. Um, and to me, I would say the risk that I see stepping away from just infrastructure for a moment um, is you know, growing, growing rhetoric around, public finances and whether or not those are sustainable here in the U.S. And, and I would say, you know, policy, I would say that, that 
infrastructure was passed in a bipartisan manner, manner. and infrastructure is so critical that it tends to enjoy uh, broader support versus some other issues that you know tend to fall more along party lines. But regardless, I do expect to see you know some increasing rhetoric related to national debt and the rising interest expense on that debt. Uh, it does appear that the current trajectory uh, in the U.S. is not sustainable. So we are likely to see, again, this being brought up, especially as we head into to an election year. And now, you know, before I close out, I will just reiterate that um, it's too it's too early to, to really say, right, what the end of 2024 is going to look like. Um, so that's something that we'll have to keep our eyes on going into next year. Um, but this was a great, great conversation. And before I turn it back to Dan to close us out here, Sam, do you have any uh, closing thoughts for us or anything you want to you want to end with here? Uh, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Michelle. Look, I think what I would say in, in, in closing is that, uh, you know, we at Brookfield have never been more excited about the opportunities for the infrastructure sector. Uh, we're in the midst of a super cycle. Um, which provides us tremendous uh, investment opportunities. Um, and that the track record uh, for our business and for the sector as a whole has been fantastic, uh, you know, the last two decades and uh, provides, you know, investors with the stability and, and predictable income, low volatility, low correlation to other assets, and that inflation protection that I think is so important. So, um, thank you so much for having me on the call and uh, um, look forward to talking again. Sam, thanks so much. And thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, Dan, let me turn it back to you. Well, Michelle, Sam, thank you again for spending some time with our listeners, our clients to share your thinking, outline the opportunity set and considerations when it comes to investing in infrastructure. I do want to remind our clients of UBS that the Made in America publication from the UBS Chief Investment Office can be located on UBS.com slash CIO for your reference. Of course, please feel free to contact your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the Made in America report directly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.